Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, and I'm joined by Justin Mello. He is at Justin M underscore NFL on the Twitters. Justin is a man with many hats. He's an NFL uh, draft coverage and, and writer, interviewer, insider for the Draft Network. He's also covering the Titans for the uh, SB Nation site, Music City Miracles, as well as Broadway Sports Media in, te- in uh, Tennessee. And he is the host of the Music City Audible podcast with Titans Film Room. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing well, Kevin. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, I know it's interesting time for the Titans, interesting time for the Falcons as well. Two teams that I, I thought going into this game were going to be pretty evenly matched, and I think in some ways still are, but lots of questions sort of surrounding the matchup with the Titans potentially shopping some players. I know Kevin Byard's already on the way out, so we'll get into that. We'll get into the matchups, get into uh, what to expect this week, and of course get Justin's take on this game before we do, guys, want to bring you a quick word from our sponsors. Folks, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And folks, the last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week. And BetOnline is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. With the MLB postseason, NFL, and college football in full swing, BetOnline is your number one source for all your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions can get everything NBA at your fingertips on both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime. And BetOnline is also here to take you all the way through the NFL playoffs to the Super Bowl and, of course, to the college football playoff. So what are you guys waiting for? Head to that website today, betonline.ag, to get in on the action. Just don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online where the game starts. We've also got this week's prize picks coming at you. Hold on, that 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 graphic is not correct. Hold on one second while I fix that. But uh, we do have some new prize picks for you this week, and they will be somewhat familiar. But we're going to be putting our faith in some new guys. So uh, this this week we're going back to Youngway Ku. Um, the kicking points not available this week, so we're going with over uh, excuse me more than one and a half field goals made. The Titans, much like the Bucks, are pretty good in the red zone. I think they're in the top five in terms of red zone defense. And and while I'm not thinking that uh, Desmond Ritter is going to fumble three times inside the five, uh, inside the ten again, I, I do think the Falcons are probably going to have some issues scoring touchdowns uh, in the red zone against this defense. It's a good red zone defense. So that's just going to lead to more opportunities for Youngway Koo. And I think him getting two field goals is pretty one of the safer uh, picks you can make on prize picks this week. And then I'm going to be putting putting my faith in Desmond Ritter on the road. I, it feels absolutely crazy to say that, but he actually has the number I like the best of, of all the players in the receiving props and everything. Uh, his his receiving total or his uh, his passing total is still pretty low because of his history this season, just 217 and a half passing yards. And the Titans are one of the worst defenses uh, against the pass in the NFL, especially if you look at net yards per attempt and things like that. So. I think Desmond Ritter has an excellent chance to get more than 217 and a half passing yards. So I'm going to go there. 
And then there weren't really any Titans players available. Derrick Henry is not even listed because I think people think he's likely to get traded. None of the receivers for the Titans are listed. I would have been happy to take some under, uh, some, some you know, less numbers for those Titans receivers. But they're not available. So going to go with Travis Kelsey, my, my guy, uh, my, my fantasy hero with more than 76 and a half receiving yards against Denver. That's always a little dicey because I think if, you know, if the chiefs blow them out, then they're not going to be throwing as much, but the, the safest bet on, you know, the safest pick obviously on the, the Kansas city chiefs defense is Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes favorite target. He's been getting 10 plus targets in every single of the last like three games, essentially uh, has been stacking up yards. I think he has over hundred yards in each of the last two games. Now, last year, the, the Broncos played Kelsey pretty tight, but that is not, at all the same Broncos defense, uh, the, the Broncos defense is now 32nd in net yards per attempt and 30th in passing yardage. Um, I think there's there's a chance that Kelsey could actually get this in the first half and then just sort of coast the rest of the way. But uh, if anyone's going to gonna be more than their receiving totals in Kansas City, it is Travis Kelsey. So pretty happy about that. But you guys can pick your own prize picks. Feel free to use mine if you like that. Just some background prize picks, of course is a skill-based daily fantasy game. You pick two to six players and decide if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. The more players you pick, the more you can win all the way up to 25 times your money on any entry. And at prize picks, unlike other daily fantasy, you are competing against the projections, not against other people. And make sure you check on prize picks, generous promotion, promotion schedule. They have weekly promotions in multiple sports like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday. So keep your eyes open there. Uh, and it's not just the NFL. Like I said, NBA getting started this week. They also, of course, have MLB for the remainder of that season. And, of course, college football, basketball, soccer, everything you could think of. And prize picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less with fast withdrawals. It's that easy, guys. Uh, so if you are planning to sign up with prize picks, just make sure when you do that to use our promo code DBB for Dirty Birds and Brews, of course. Uh, you will receive a 100% deposit match, and that is instant up to $100. So if you deposit $100 to start, PrizePix will match and give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Just make sure to use that promo code DBB. It really helps us out. Let's them know that you guys are, are getting two PrizePix through our show. Obviously, that's, that's great for us. And because PrizePix is daily fantasy, folks, it is available in 31 states, Washington, D.C., and most of Canada. It's the best way to have action on the game in states like California, Florida, Texas, Georgia, notably, and over 70% of the United States. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Prize Picks for sponsoring today's episode. All right, folks, I'm back here with Justin Mello. All right, first of all, got to get your take on the Titans season. Obviously, a 2-4 and four probably not gone exactly as planned. What's sort of... I know Ryan Tannehill is dealing with that injury. I'm sure that has something to do with it. But what's been the story so far for the Titans? Yeah, I, I think the story has been they're not as good as they hoped they were going to be and as they thought they were going to be. Um, not to pat myself on the back, but it's it's been exactly what I expected, in all honesty. I, I Going into the year, I did not think they had a good roster. I think they made some mistakes in the offseason where the the strategy, they felt sort of halfway in, right? Like they used a lot of their draft capital on future contributors. You know, one being Will Levis, who I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit later. Mm -hmm. You know, Tajay Spears, you know, drafting a running back when you already have Derrick Henry. Both of those picks look towards the future, but they also try to compete right now right? By hanging on to Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, two guys they could have moved on from 
in the offseason and adding DeAndre Hopkins, right? Obviously an aging weapon at receiver and going out and getting, you know, offensive linemen, paying Andre Dillard $30 million over three years. So I felt there was sort of a halfway in strategy. Either you're going to compete now or you're not. You're going to look towards the future. They didn't travel down one path, right? They kind of tried to straddle the middle. And I think that's the main issue of what you're seeing right now, a, a, a two and four team. Um, that looks like, you know, after the Kevin Byard trade and some of the other rumors is starting to admit the inevitable. Yeah, it was. I always thought they were having a weird offseason. Like, uh, I know Tannehill, like, I was surprised Tannehill didn't get moved. I mean, I know the Falcons were a popular destination. It seems like Atlanta was very committed to Ritter, so they weren't interested at that time. But, I mean, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, back in, like, week four, I would have been like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ritter doesn't get better if we're talking about Tannehill here in a couple of weeks. Obviously, with the, the high ankle sprain, it seems unlikely that he'll be on the move at this point. But right. I agree with what you said. It, it The Hopkins move was a weird one to me. Like, I just didn't really get it for what they were doing. But it seems like half the organization sort of realized the inevitable, which it happens to every team. Like, it's the window closes and it's time to, to go find the next window. And then the other half is like, no, we have to still win because we got to keep our jobs. But typically that doesn't end well for anyone because you've got people pulling in different directions. But we've already seen Kevin Byer moved, who was one of my favorite uh, safeties, one of the, I think the most underrated players in the NFL, probably because he plays for Tennessee, just like I, we have a lot of great Falcons players that don't get the shine they deserve. Uh, but given the, all the rumors that are out there, and there's a ton are you expecting any more trades at this point? Um, is I know Derrick Henry is obviously the big name, but I know there's guys like Danico Autry and some others that may have some some buzz. Is there anyone else you're expecting to be moved going into the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll do anything before Sunday because at this point, you know, your game plan is sort of locked and loaded. Uh, but certainly on Monday or Tuesday, and win or lose, right, I think they're going to continue working the phones and seeing what they have. Obviously, the, the big conversation surrounds Derrick Henry. And I've been asked about this a lot, right, on every on every show that I go on. And I've given the same answer, and I'll say the same thing here. Um, I think it's important to remember that you're dealing with human beings, right? And we all know why they might or should even trade Derrick Henry, right? He's, he's a 30-year-old running back on the final year of his contract, you know, the timelines probably don't line up, right? How many good years does he have left? How long is it going to be before this team is ready to compete again? Would he want to come back? Would they even possess interest in re-signing him? They need, you know, more draft capital in 2024 and beyond to continue building up this roster to a place it needs to be. All of those things are the obvious reasons why they should or, you know, should entertain the possibility of trading Derrick Henry. But I think we sort of gloss over the facts of, of why maybe they won't. Um, you're talking about one of the best players in franchise history, right? Like he just became their second all-time leading rusher. He surpassing Earl Campbell for number two all-time. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Like he only trails Eddie George, right, for number one all-time. And he's not going to get there this year. But realistically speaking, he could get there if they resign him next year. And I think, you know, and a lot of that, you know, I don't think it's so much a foregone conclusion that they definitely won't resign him. Now, I would lean towards they wouldn't and they could still trade him right by the time you right. release this episode. But I think there's at least some arguments for, for keeping him on the team. Like, first of all, right now, uh, they've got about 95 million in cap space heading into mm -hmm. the offseason. It's not like resigning a 30 year old Derrick Henry is going to would take up a, a huge chunk of that and limit you from making other moves. 
if you are going with a young quarterback next year, and they almost certainly are, whether that is Will Levis, Malik Willis, or another draft pick, um, having a capable running back takes some of the pressure off that young quarterback, right? And yeah. and I think you could resign him and still build the team around the quarterback and go out and get some offensive line and, and use some of those picks in the draft uh, to, to build the cast around the QB. So I don't think it's as foregone of a conclusion that he's not coming back next year as some others may state. They might want to keep one of the best players in franchise history. Hell, they're trying to sell season tickets for a new stadium that's not <laughs> built yet. And, uh, you know, one way to do that is to hold on to some of your best players and, you know, ones that help you win football games, right? So there, there are two sides. And, and not to mention the message it sends to the locker room, right? Like yeah. trading Derrick Henry. I mean, they've already gone through it with Bayard. Amani yeah. Hooker and Derrick Henry got up there the other day in the press conference and talked about how much it sucked to lose yeah. Kevin Bayard and to watch one of the leaders go. Well, now multiply it by 10 if you trade <laughs> right. Derrick Henry. Yeah. Right. So there, there are other factors at play that make it a more difficult deal than I think the general public. Well, and I get it. When we analyze these things, all we see is numbers. And again, there's an argument. We see the age. We see the expiring contract. We see where they're headed. I get it. But when you factor in the human being element and what Derrick Henry has meant to this franchise, um, I don't imagine they trade him unless they get a really, really good offer for him. Yeah, are you hoping for like a second round pick or what kind of compensation are you hoping yeah, for? Yeah, I think that? second yeah. would be terrific, right? I think second yeah. is the part where where you say yes. I think a third is, you know, if it's an early third, I think you give strong consideration to that. Anything later, I, I don't yeah. think you even consider. And, and with Bayard, people don't realize like he was under contract for next year as well. So the compensation wasn't great, a five and a six, but they also got out of a bloated deal, right? A guy that right. was due a ton of money next year, traded a, a bunch more cap space for them heading into the offseason. And in all honesty, I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm dogging the guy, um, but I haven't seen a decline with Derrick Henry. And I know the stats might say otherwise. They're just not blocking for him, yeah. right? At, at the rate they'd like him to. He still looks like a hell of a running back when they yeah. do block for him. Kevin Byard, and I, I said this quietly with a lot of analysts who I trust in film work, I haven't seen him make a single play this season. And look, I'm not going to put all of that on him. You know, Some of that is maybe scheme-related. They've got a bunch of struggling corners that he's probably had to cover for. But it's not like he's gone out. He hasn't been himself, You know, still waiting for the first pick of the year. I, I haven't seen him make a, you know, a, a ton of great plays at the catch point on at the ball. Like he's coming into the picture late and making tackles, right? Like, so I, I think that deal made a lot more sense in trading Henry. And to answer your original question, sorry, some of the other names that might make sense. I mean, you mentioned Dina Coatri is an obvious one. That guy, a 33-year-old pass rusher on, in the final year of his deal, no-brainer. And, and I wouldn't expect the compensation to be great for that one. But that would be a great value deal, I tell you, for whoever gets him. Because I say this every every show I go on. Dina Coatri is one of the most underrated players in mm -hmm. pro football and one of few pass rushers in the league right now that's defeated Father Time. He looks as good as ever. He's one of the greatest free agent signings in Titans history. They've got an unbelievable value out of that three-year, $21 million deal they signed him to a couple of years ago. He's a no-brainer. Two other names I could see going are Tier Tart, a nose tackle, and Christian Fulton, the corner. I don't think Fulton's going to have much of a market. Unfortunately, he's having the worst year of his career. Mm -hmm. Could you get the Chase Claypool deal? Maybe, you know, the, the <laughs> conditional six for seven swap. Look, there's no chance they resign him. So that's one I think they'd accept, even if the compensation was low. Tier Tart's a good player they should want to keep around. 
but I get the sense there's not a very good relationship there between him and the organization. He's missed two consecutive games with a toe injury. He will be returning Sunday against the Falcons. It looks like he's a really good football player. But he's also one that's very disappointed with his deal. You know, business is business. They slapped a second-round tender on him a couple months ago. Kevin, you know as well as I do, if you know the inner outer workings of these contracts, was nothing he could do, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. no one was going to pay the second-round tender. Uh, he was worth a lot more money than what it paid him, but he had no really leverage. He had to just kind of grin and bear it. Well, it made him very unhappy. They weren't willing to negotiate a long-term deal. He's playing good football. I think they've questioned some of his effort level throughout this injury, in all honesty. They, they tried to pretend he was in a competition battle for his job. Like Both sides have just been sending mixed signals all year long, dating back to the summer. So I don't think he's going to be back. He should be because he's a good player. But the relationship just seems like it's ready for a split. So if they were to get a good offer for him, even you know a fourth or fifth rounder, I think they'd take it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it's a tough spot to be in um, for those guys. And obviously with, with Bayard, you know, the, the leadership obviously is a big loss with him too. And yeah. I, I noticed his, his PFF grade this year was significantly lower than it has been. So there's there's definitely something to what you're saying. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously we got to talk about the quarterback because that's the buzzy thing, right? Um, the, I would surprise you didn't lead with him. I'm going to be honest <laughs> Right? With this is, this this is, is a discerning fans show, okay? You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into the nitty-gritty of all the details, not just the quarterback. But yeah, I mean, obviously I was, I've been answering tons of questions about Desmond Ritter. So um, it, it appears the Titans are going with Will Levis. Uh, I was a big Malik Willis guy. It seems like that dream might be dead, but... What what's your take on the situation with Levis? Because I, you know, at this point, hasn't even I believe been active for any games, um, and they're just handing the keys to him. So it seems like they're putting a lot on his plate. Obviously, uh, just sort of throwing him in there. I know Malik Willis hasn't played great either, but what's your sort of take on on Levis starting this week and the whole situation at quarterback? Well, I I think they're making the right decision, right? I, again, I think they admitted the inevitable by trading Kevin Byard and. and- potentially some of the other guys that we've discussed. It's, you know, at two and four, Jacksonville's running away with the division, it appears. It's early. You you could theoretically turn your season around. They don't look like a team that's capable of doing so. It's time to find out what you have in your number 33 overall quarterback. I mean, we knew what the first round buzz was like. It didn't come to fruition. They nearly traded back into the first round to take him. So they were very high on him throughout the entire process. I heard they loved him. You know, they, they met with him at the combine. They held him for a pre-draft visit. Like, they liked him the entire time. They traded up to get him. Keep in mind, and, and you'll know this, um, the, the general manager's in his first year. He's not the one that drafted Malik Willis, right? So mm-hmm. they went out and took Levis. The writing was on the wall for Malik the entire time. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll say this. a lot. Of, I've see, I'm, I'm sort of seeing the notion, oh, you know, he couldn't beat out Malik Willis for the backup job. It's a misleading take when people say that because there are a couple of factors. Number one, um, he only played in one preseason game. Will Levis did. He had an injury that prevented him from practicing down the stretch, and he didn't play in the second and third preseason game. It was a very minor injury, but it essentially robbed him of his opportunity to be the number two quarterback, right? They went with the guy that was more experienced, was healthy, and was getting all the reps, and had a bunch of reps from last year in the same offensive, or a very similar offensive system, I should say, with with Tim Kelly coming in as the OC. Um, He just didn't get a chance to be the number two. I also think uh, one thing that people are are sort of overlooking and forgetting, there's a big difference between having to enter a game cold 
right? For, you know, in the middle of a game due to an injury to your starting quarterback and getting two weeks to prepare for a start, right? So I'm not surprised Malik has been the number two because again, he was healthy throughout the entire summer. He's your second year quarterback. He's been around this team. He might be the better option having to enter a game cold, but I have no doubt that Will Levis is the better option when given ample time to prepare. Right. The, the issues that plagued Malik Willis last year just haven't gotten better. Right. I mean, the, the big thing with him was holding on to the football, uh, not releasing it on time, not trusting what he's seeing. It appeared to get a little better throughout the summer, the preseason training camp. It, it did. But then when he enters the game uh, against Baltimore there a couple weeks ago in London, their last game, um, he takes four sacks on 12 dropbacks. And most of it was because it was the same issues, not trusting what he's seeing, not getting rid of the football. I think Will Levis, you know, coming out of the SEC out of Kentucky, I think the learning curve was a lot less steep than it was for Malik Willis and that gimmicky system. He came out of Liberty, in all honesty. This was an SEC quarterback that was asked to go through his progressions, uh, four-year experience guy that that had a lot of freedom at the line of scrimmage, a night and day difference, right? What was put on his plate compared to what was put on Malik Willis's plate. Now, Mike Vrabel's still playing this game, though, right? Where he's saying both quarterbacks are going to play on Sunday. We might alternate them series by series, he said. And uh, it, the report comes out from Ian Rappaport uh, yesterday saying that it's going to be Will Levis. That's what everyone in Nashville has expected the entire time. And we just feel Mike Vrabel's, you know, playing the gamesmanship yeah. thing. I think Arthur Smith would do that. I see a lot <laughs> yeah. of similar tendencies with Arthur Smith and Mike Vrabel. He clearly learned a lot. I think from Vrabel in his time in Tennessee, they, they approach these press conferences exactly the same way uh, from when I've watched coach Smith speak in Atlanta. So I think Atlanta would play the same game and look, Vrabel's probably not lying when he says both of them are going to play. I think they'll bring on Willis for a sub package. I think they'll get him uh, to try to stress the edges of Atlanta's defense and run the football once or twice. You know what I mean? And theoretically he said, they'll both play. Hey, they both played right. If Malik Willis yeah. comes onto the field, for a trick play. Now, what, what when he, I, I don't buy it when he says we might switch it series by series <laughs> or every two series. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't buy it. And I hope he's not telling the truth, right? Like it would be quite the amateur. It would be the worst decision. Mike Ray it's like a preseason game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, it does no talk about doing a disservice to your offensive line, your weapons, right? Like, you know, it, it's, it's different. Protecting for quarterbacks is different. Right. Yeah. Receivers. It's completely different. Right. So I don't buy it. I think it's going to be Will Levis. It should be Will Levis. Look, at this point, he ha- because you've seen Malik Willis for a year and a half and you don't like what you've seen. Will Levis has the better chance of, you know, developing into a franchise quarterback. Right. So yeah. at two and four, um, you know, they're, they're saying a lot of weird things, but I think their actions behind closed doors indicate uh, they realize exactly where they're at. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it, and it's going to be a tougher test than I think most would have predicted coming into the season against this Falcons defense, which somehow has become good. Uh, we're all we're we're pretty shocked by that here in Atlanta, but it it's become good, uh, and they're uh, ninth in scoring, third in total yardage allowed. Uh, they're eighth in rushing, and I believe seventh in, in passing yardage allowed. So they're they're shutting teams down, especially in the second half. So. Definitely not a, a soft landing for Will Levis, but you know the idea obviously will be that Derrick Henry and, and Ty J Spears, who is my one of my guys, senior bowl guys coming oh. out, um, that the, the run game is going to be able to take some pressure off. Uh, but it, it seems like the the biggest issue hasn't obviously been Derrick Henry slowing down or anything like that. It's been this offensive line, and I think the the biggest issue that I've heard is is Nicholas Petit Friere at left tackle. 
uh, being a big liability. Um, how has it been across the rest of the offensive line as well? So for to add some context, Petit Friere will be making his first career start at left okay. tackle this Sunday against the Falcons. Uh, they have officially benched Andre Dillard, who was the starting left tackle, signed a three-year $29 million deal in the offseason, has been terrible, right? That's going to be the easiest decision they make when they cut him in the offseason. Luckily, that that's the first miss of the Rand Carthon era. At least he structured that contract where they could quickly get out of it. Three years, $29 million, not a lot of dead cap. They'll create a little bit of room. They're going to cut him. Uh, Petit Friere came into that game against Baltimore, um, replaced him in the middle of the game, and and, and honestly didn't look much better, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but Mike Rabel did praise him, which kind of surprised me. He said he looked like he wanted to be out there. He was really good in the run game. He was physical, and he was getting after guys. Most of the sacks he quote-unquote allowed were after Malik Willis came in, and there was some debate whether is it on him, is it on Malik for holding onto the ball longer than he should have. Now, I expect Will Levis to hold onto the ball too, though, in all honesty, right? He might right. be a bit better than Malik, but he's not going to be as decisive as Ryan Tannehill typically is yeah, uh, on average. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's going to be an issue there. Uh, first career start for Petit Friere. We'll see how that goes. I'm not expecting much, if I'm going to be blunt. Uh, not a guy that I loved coming out of Ohio State, uh, to be honest. Uh, had a nightmare year last year at right tackle. His best friend last season as a rookie was Dennis Daly at left tackle because Dennis Daly was so bad that and honestly, I feel like it, it, it removed um, some of the attention from how bad Petit Friere was at right tackle. But anyway, they're giving him the start at left tackle. Left guard, Peter Skaronsky, has been really mm -hmm. good. Um, he's been as advertised. He's already their best offensive lineman. He looks like a 10-year starter at left guard. A lot of fans wonder why they won't try him at left tackle. As, as you'll know, Kevin was a longtime yeah. starter there on uh, at left tackle for Northwestern. I always thought he was going to be a guard based on yeah, the arm too. length. Yeah. And they just, uh, they asked Mike Vrabel about it yesterday. They said, why won't you try Peter Skaronsky at left tackle? And he replied, because he's the left guard. That's yeah. what he said. Uh, so that's not going to happen, but he has been very good. Center Aaron Brewer is one of the more interesting players on this offensive line, maybe in the league. Because in all honesty, I don't, this guy is, and he doesn't get enough credit. He is outstanding in the run game. He is extremely athletic. He's a perfect fit for that outside zone. Just Google Air or Google, excuse me, Twitter search Aaron Brewer's screen. Anytime they run a successful screen, Aaron Brewer's 25 yards down the field, eliminating safeties and corners. Like he's outstanding in the run game. The reason they moved him to center, number one, they had a need there. He started at left guard last year, by the way. The reason they moved him to center is a short armed interior guy that was a nightmare uh, in pass pro at left guard. Right, like longer three texts just gave him hell. He's been a good fit at center. Why? Because he's great in the run game. And two, as you know, it creates less of those one-on-one -on -one pass rushing opportunities playing yeah. center. So he, he's been pretty good at center. Right guard Daniel Brunskill has been, I think, as advertised. Uh, you know, came here on a short-term two-year bridge deal. They're barely paying him. They're getting good value out of that contract because he's given them sort of, you know, league yeah. average play at right mm -hmm. guard. Right tackle, Chris Hubbard's been okay. I don't think he's been as good as most think he is. I mean, if you look up like ESPN stats and info, they got the pass block win rate. He's been near the top of the league for most of the year. The reality is they've given him a ton of help. They've given mm -hmm. him a lot of help, and it's helped offset some of that. It's limited the one-on-one -on -one opportunities. In fact, they've given him so much help, in my opinion, sort of to the detriment of Andre Dillard because they said, mm -hmm. okay, we've got to yeah. give Hubbard help. Dillard, you've got to survive one-on-one -on, -one on an island, and that didn't go well for Dillard. Right. So that, that I think, you know, if they had given Dillard help, we'd probably be talking more about Chris Hubbard and how <laughs> yeah. he struggled on the right side. So mm. it's a below average offensive line. It's worse than it was last year. 
in all honesty. And look, the reality is they've missed on a lot of picks on the yeah. O-line, and that's why it is what it is. I mean, you remember the Isaiah Wilson absolute disaster oh, from a yeah. couple of years ago, but it's not the only one, right? A year after that, they drafted Dylan Radins in the second round thinking he was going to be a starting tackle. It turns out he's a guard, and it turns out he's a swing guard, right? Like he's basically their sixth lineman and comes in and plays guard. That's not good value, right? The Nicholas petit Friere pick is a third rounder, but they'd hope he'd be ahead of where he is now. The Andre Dillard signing, I mean, you could argue they went 0 for 4 on those yeah. four big decisions, and that's why the O-line is where it is. Yeah, yeah, you you miss that many times and you're going to have you're going to have trouble. Uh it's it's not going to end up working out super well for you. So, uh yeah, and it's it's a tough for for the first time in my memory, the Falcons interior defensive line is really deadly. Um and it seems like that's where maybe the strength of it of the offensive line is for Tennessee. Is. So which, so that which is that should help a little bit. Yeah, um, I was gonna comment, I go as improved as the Falcons defense is, still can't seem to get the pass rush all the way there, right? And you rank near the bottom of the league. I believe that was the case last year as well. Not I mean three top one hundred picks, right? And Arnold the BDK. Uh, 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 the Ohio State kid they took, right? That was Zach raw Harrison. coming out this yep. year. Mm-hmm. I thought D'Angelo Malone was a bit of a reach a couple of years. It t- probably took him a little earlier than I thought he'd go. I did look up the fact that those three players have combined for one and a half sacks this year, and it all came from the Penn State kid, right? It was the earliest of the three. So it seems like not getting a lot of production out of there. I, Bud Dupree, they took a flyer on. They knew him from his time in Tennessee. Doesn't seem like he's gotten all the way back either. It, it, but hasn't been effective since he tore his ACL. So it does seem like most of the production is coming from the interior. I mean, Grady Jarrett's terrific. David Onyemata seems like a quality free agent signing, and Calais Campbell is still playing at a high level. So it'll be interesting to see how these two uh, these lines match up. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a group effort for how they do it, and they create a ton of pressure. I think they're fifth or sixth in the NFL in pressure rate, but they just haven't turned it into the sacks yet, and they're really the only team – it's changed over the last two weeks. They have, they have eight sacks in the last two games. Um, so that it's been so, sort of turning around, but yeah, going into that commanders game, which everybody gets sacks against the commanders, but they were, <laughs> they had five sacks and they were third in pressure rate. And they were the, like one of the only teams wow. in the top 10 in pressure rate with less than 10. So some of that's a little bit of bad luck. Some of it's that, that the edge pressure isn't there, but they have good edge rushers that, that are really stout against the run. It's just the pass rush. So that's that's why I was asking about Autry. And it's like, huh, can we can we you know can we convince <laughs> you to to leave Autry in Atlanta after the game? You know, so um, I mean, hey, if Atlanta wins this game, top of the NFC South, I, I imagine that whoever's get, whoever gets Autry, if he does go, would get great great value on that yeah, deal because yeah. he's a hell of a football player. I, I probably doesn't cost more than a sixth, right? At thirty three years old and an expiring deal, so it'd be a great and and look, Arthur Smith. I mean, I've lost count. How many Titans have come to Atlanta since our, I mean, DMPs was the DC, Bud Dupree's there is now the tight end room is filled out by Michael Pruitt and Johnu Smith. Like I think Breon Borders was there once upon a time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Parker Hesse, I think is there on IR. Like it's uh, Rashawn Evans was a starter for a year. Like it's just been nonstop. Uh, People have been hopping on planes from Nashville to Atlanta since Arthur Smith got <laughs> yeah. there. So clearly, these shocked. two teams, yeah, they, they they've got some kind of pipeline set up uh, for for these two teams. But we'll see how that plays out. But offensively speaking, for the Falcons, uh, very inconsistent. The last three games, they put up over 400 yards. But the point, it's very similar to the the defense putting up the pressure <laughs> and not getting the sacks. They're putting up the yards and not getting the points. They're 12th in yardage but only 29th in scoring much of it has to do with Desmond Ritter turning the ball over. Now he stopped throwing interceptions, 
Now he's fumbling. Oh, he's fumbling, uh, he yeah. Three <laughs> fumbles inside the 10 against the Bucks last week. I believe it was 16 expected points lost uh, in that game, which should have been a blowout against the Bucks. But they are moving the ball very well, and Desmond Ritter's definitely getting a lot more comfortable passing. It's just the turnovers, and obviously Atlanta's got the, the great rushing attack. They were able to put up over 150 rushing yards against the Bucks without Bijan Robinson last week in that whole kerfuffle. Uh, Bijan will be back. Uh, and they're going up against the Titans defense, which I think is, is, has been solid. I mean, I think in scoring in particular, that that's where they've been the best 17 in yardage. Uh, it seems like they struggle a little bit more against the pass. They're 29th in net yards per attempt, but against the run still pretty good, uh, seventh in yards per carry. So how, I mean, has that really been what's been keeping the Titans in these games? It's been the defense. Yeah, for the most part it has. And, and they were the number one ranked run defense a few weeks ago until, of all people, Zach Moss went off for 200 yeah. yards yeah. against them. That was extremely peculiar. And a lot of people have been chalking that up, and it shouldn't come down to one player. But they've missed Tier Tart a lot uh, against the Colts and then the Ravens the following week. Uh, he's the he's the nose tackle. He's got some pass rushing upside. He moves so well for his size. You can, In fact, you can Twitter search my handle plus Tier Tart and find some of the incredible plays he's made this year, getting into the backfield with quickness. They've missed him a lot over these last few weeks, and it's hurt the rushing numbers. With him back, I, I expect them to be better in that department. Um, the pass defense is below average. Uh, you're correct on that. And that's and then you know, with losing Kevin Byard, even though you know theoretically it, it, it could get worse, they brought in a ton of safeties over these last few days. Right, They acquired Terrell Edmonds in that deal for Byard. They also claimed Kayvon Wallace off waivers. I imagine you're going to see uh, they'll replace him by committee. Elijah Molden. A corner, a former nickel corner is now playing safety on almost a full-time basis. I think he'll get first crack at the starting gig opposite Amani Hooker now that Bayard is gone. And, and Mullen's a very, you know, a, a good quality player, just has to stay healthy. High football IQ is always around the football. Yeah, average when it comes to one-on-one -on -one coverage because he's short and he's short-armed. Um, mm -hmm. But he's always around the ball and he's got a knack for creating turnovers. So I imagine he gets first crack at it, but we'll see how Terrell Edmonds and Kayvon Wallace play a role. The corner play has been a bigger issue. As I said earlier, Christian Fulton's having the worst year of his career. Couldn't have picked a worse time to do it. Uh, coming into the year, everyone would have told you he's a, a, a mid-level quality number one corner. Not a shutdown, you know, island type guy, but he's a good number one corner. He's pressing, right? He's playing for that contract. He's taking risks. He, he's you know, foregoing his technique, it's just not working out for him. He's trying to jump routes ends up that end up 30 yards behind him, right? It's just not going well for him right now. They actually benched him at one point for a second year uh, on a UDFA, Trey Avery. Roger McCreary's having a good year. Uh, he's a, probably their best corner in his second season. And Sean Murphy bunting is also okay. Uh, certainly, I, I don't think they regret that signing. In fact, they, you know, they'll probably consider re-signing him once his one-year deal expires. Uh, I think what's also hurt this unit over these last couple of weeks is the pass rush hasn't been quite as good as, as it's been early on in the year and as good as they expect it to be. As much as I've praised Dina Coatri, he's sort of gone radio silent over these last couple of games. You know, Jeffrey Simmons has played through a shoulder injury. Harold Landry has been non-existent all year long, um, which is really unfortunate. He's just dealing with the after effects of a torn ACL for, he doesn't look as explosive, doesn't look as quick he's got to get back and it's probably going to continue to take some time. Arden key's been their best edge rusher, but again, I, I you know, he wasn't playing to the level they expect him to over these last couple of weeks. So it, it's a, it's a good quality unit early on. They were outstanding, you know, against the Bengals, the chargers, two big wins 
early on in the year. Uh, both of those, uh, you know, Simmons, Autry, Key were all very, very good. Travis Gibson has made an impact. In fact, I expect them to increase his playing time while decreasing Harold Landry's uh, in this game Sunday because Gibson has been so good and Landry has been so bad. Um, it's a unit that has a lot of potential. I mean, I mean, I, I hate I shouldn't use the word potential because the results have been proven. I mean, going back to last year, we, we, we've seen what Jeffrey Simmons and Dina Kowatri are. We know what Harold Landry can be when he's healthy. Arden Key's been really good for them, considering he's on a three-year, $21 million deal. He was outstanding the first three or four weeks of the season. But Mike Rabel's talked about it. They, they haven't quite been getting home these last two weeks. That's put added pressure to a secondary that, frankly, is just not that good. So uh, a big key for them is uh, for this D-line will be getting back on track and how that helps the secondary. Yeah, yeah. And it, it'll be interesting to see how the Falcons... Uh, attack in this one because they they actually have leaned a lot more on the passing game in recent weeks after being sort of completely reliant on the run to do anything. The run games actually actually struggled uh, the last three weeks, and then against the Bucks of all teams, they actually got the run game going uh, with with Cordell Patterson, who was finally healthy, uh, getting over five yards to carry. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they decide to go after Tennessee. It seems like the passing game is the way to go there, and the Falcons' Absolutely. offensive line has has stabilized. It had a shaky start. I think they gave up like ten sacks in the first three games, but um, has stabilized since then, and it's been a lot better. And Ritter's been reading the field better and, and making some great plays. So um, we'll we'll see if if the turnovers can get cut down because that's really the key <laughs> for this Falcons team is just to stop turning the ball over, but. Um, lots going on. How how are you feeling about this game, Justin? What's your what's your prediction uh, for Sunday? I think it's probably going to be a close game, right? And and I said yeah. this on my own show. The the Falcons, I mean, they're they're winning more than the Titans are, but they remind me of the Titans so much. And I think a lot <laughs> of that has to do with, of course, Arthur Smith and the, the system is the same that it was here. But it also seems like his approach to football right now is very similar to what Mike Vrabel's has been. And, and look, I, I know in Atlanta, look, every market you'll find fans that don't like coaches from the outside looking in. I, and, and sometimes it helps being on the outside looking in. I think Arthur Smith's done a phenomenal job in Atlanta. That's my personal opinion. I've seen a lot of Falcons as they got to fire him. Look, as an outsider, he inherited, can we cuss on this show? Or yeah, slightly? yeah, go for it. Yeah. inherited a shit show of a situation that I don't think Falcon fans fully appreciate. I mean, the dead cap hits with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, as soon as he got there, were that of nightmare. In my opinion, they could not be players. And then, you know, they, they try to go get Deshaun Watson, which I don't believe he was driving the bus on that. No, he when that doesn't happen, exactly. The Matt Ryan thing happens. Uh, you know, they go with a bridge option in Mariota. They knew what he was. They draft Desmond Ritter, take a flyer on a mid-round QB, like, back-to-back seven-win seasons, I would argue, again, as an outsider, that they overachieved in Arthur Smith's first three. I I don't think those were seven-win teams on paper. And they they were so hamstrung by the cap situation. Well, now, finally, in his third year, they went into a year, they had some money. They went out, they got some great players in Jesse Bates. I like most of what they did in the draft. And you're seeing it pay off, right? They're they're leading the division right now. That was a huge road win in Tampa. And my, like, I, you know, I a lot of people would have told you before that game, Tampa is the best team in the division and their favorites to win the division. Well, they go out and got a huge road win despite turning over the football a couple times there in the red zone. Like I love what Arthur Smith's done. I think he's a much, like he's not perfect. There have been so, I think maybe he could have been a little quicker to pull the trigger on Ritter last year and bench Mariota when he wasn't playing well. He hasn't been perfect, but I think he's a hell of a football coach and I think he's done a great job in Atlanta, but I, I think the approach is so similar. And I'll say this, like, and, and I argue this a lot with uh, Titans fans in Tennessee uh, both of them try to win ugly, right? Titans and the Falcons, they try to win ugly. 
And I think, you know, people say, oh, Mike Vrabel, old school run first approach. Uh, same thing with Arthur Smith and Atlanta. I think they're playing to the strengths of their football team, right? Yeah. Like they don't have a top 10 quarterback in this league. They, neither of them have a top 15 in all honesty, right? So it's like you kind of have to try to win ugly, right? You want to establish the run or you want to play good defense. You want to try to protect the football. You want to take advantage of your opportunities in the red zone when you get there. These two teams have the exact same identity, in my opinion. And I think a lot of that has to do with trying to coach around the limitations of the quarterback. And look, Desmond Ritter's still a young guy. He might get there. He might get better. I'm not trying to argue with Falcons fans, but I think right now we've seen what some of the limitations are and they're not going to ask him to drop back 45, 50 times a game. It's not, it doesn't, it's not in their best interest of winning football games. So because these two teams are so similar, I, I, I think we're due here for a really, really ugly game. Uh, I, I probably lean towards the Falcons pulling it out. They're just at a different you know, state than the Titans are. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Titans win, in all honesty, because I, I see this being like a 16-10, 16-13 type of game, right? That could go either way. And, and, and Mike Vrabel will tell you himself, and I bet Arthur Smith would too, like, they coach to be in close games in the fourth quarter, right? They want to be in a close game in the fourth quarter, and they want to trust that their team is going to be the one to pull it out. So I see those two strategies clashing heads. I'd be shocked if this was a blowout either way. I'd be pretty surprised if either team scored 30-plus points. Titans haven't scored 30 points, by the way, in like 74 years, it feels like. So <laughs> they didn't do it all of last year. I, I know I, they didn't do it all of last year. They haven't done it yet this year. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. I lean towards Atlanta winning, but it'll be, uh, you know, 16-10, 16-13 type game is my prediction. Yeah, it, and, you know, Mike Vrabel's always been super effective off 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 a bye i believe he's five and oh in tennessee off a bye so i mean it's definitely not something you can ever take lightly um and i i wouldn't expect the titans to to come into this game you know i mean if if they trade like derrick henry or something before the game then i I could see there being just like an emotional like okay like what are we doing here sort of thing yeah (laughs) but um, you know, no, I, I don't think anyone's expecting this to be an easy game. These two teams, I think, have a lot of respect for each other. And, you know, I think the Titans defense is good. So I, I'm not expecting them to roll over. So it's it's going to be an, another ugly one. The Falcons, other than last week and even last week, haven't exactly played great football on the road. Um, you know, should have blown out the Bucks in that game, but turned the ball over three times inside the 10. You know, you can't do that. So That'll can do they it, stop yeah. doing that? If, if they can stop doing that, they, they might be pretty good. But so far, we haven't really seen that. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I mean, the Falcons are, are I think, three-point road favorites at this point. I think I think that's about right. It's about a field goal game, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I, I would have to go with the Falcons here, too, just because, you know, in years past, I would, like, be quivering about a rookie quarterback making a start against the Falcons because <laughs> historically, they were just awful under Dan Quinn against rookie quarterbacks. But this defense is is not the same. This defense is really good. Um, it's 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 a bad defense to play in your first start. Um, yeah. because they, they should give Will Levis fits for sure. They they play tight man. Um, and they're gonna play press man a lot, and they're they're gonna keep the windows tight, and they're they're not gonna give any easy reads to the young quarterback. Um, and and that's what they used to do <laughs> under Dean Pease and Dan <laughs> Quinn was to play that soft zone and. Sometimes it was effective, sometimes it wasn't, but it made the the reads a lot easier for the young quarterbacks. And so far this year, they've they've played exceptionally well against young quarterbacks like Bryce Young. They gave C.J. Stroud his worst game of the year. Um, So, you know, that gives me a lot of confidence in this one, even if we still can't trust the offense. And um, for teams that that don't get a lead on the Falcons in the first half, the defense 
completely shuts people down in the second half. I think Ryan Nielsen's been such a huge addition at defensive coordinator. He they seem to make great adjustments, and then the fourth quarter Falcons every game. You know they they seem to just come roaring back, even if it doesn't end in wins. But um, it's definitely a a matchup of two similar teams, and it, it, I think it could be a slop fest. Uh, <laughs> it's just that's kind of the style that these teams lend themselves to. So we'll see. But I I. I feel like oddly good about the Falcons in this game, which is usually a bad sign. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But Justin, really appreciate your time today, guys. He is Justin Mello at Justin M underscore NFL. Justin, remind everyone where they can find your stuff and any, anything else you'd like to plug. Yeah, I mean, the draftnetwork.com, we're heading into draft season. Hopefully, Falcons aren't there yet, right? They're, yes, uh, you know, a couple more months, please. On the, yeah. <laughs> on the postseason. But uh, the interview series is starting a, a soft launch, if, if people are unfamiliar with my work. Um, every year, I do this interview series over at the Draft Network, where we, I end up sitting down with like 100, 150-plus draft picks in the draft. It's sort of been my bread and butter, my, my go-to in this industry. So we've already got a soft start there. I've published interviews with uh, you know Graham Barton, a really good first round offensive lineman out of Duke. I had Jordan Morgan, an underrated tackle out of Arizona. I did uh, uh, Bo Braid, uh, a safety at Maryland that's playing really good football. I've got more coming out. I've got uh, Chris Jenkins from Michigan coming up. I'm super excited about Malachi Corley, underrated receiver out of WKU. Uh, I've also got one coming out with Jerzon Newton from Illinois, who I think is a first round D tackle prospect. So the interview series is starting a soft launch. It'll be full blown by the time January rolls around, which is right around the corner. And follow me on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL throughout the game. If you're a Falcons fan and, and sort of want the other side of it and are sort of looking for a Titans perspective on this game, I'll be live tweeting throughout the game, some highlights and stuff, uh, Titans plays, Falcons plays and on all that good stuff. Excellent. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time, guys. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin, please like, subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode. Leave us that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Check out the community Discord server in the show description. Follow, uh, join us on Patreon if you want to support the show. It's patreon.com slash Live. We'll be back, of course, on Sunday for the post-game show to recap this game. Today's show was brought to you by Bet Online. Until next time, guys, thank you so much for turning in to the Dirty Birds of Bruce podcast. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, folks.